And then you get this guy called Judas who knocks on his door and says, how much is he worth to you? How much is he worth to you? And Annas would think, you know, that Godfather type smirk, I've got him. Now I've got him. This was Annas, right? He was supposed to be the representation of God to the nation of Israel. But he was a man also to whom money had done strange things. He had been corrupted by his own desire for power and control. And now he thought that power and that control that he so craved, he had Jesus in his grip, or so he thought. You know, people are a little bit confused at, at how, how Jesus answers Annas during that trial. And Jesus says this, he goes, uh, I've said everything I've got to say in public, you ask them. And it sounds like when you first read it, it's a little bit like a cheeky answer or a bit of sarcasm from Jesus. But actually, it's not. Jesus is, is quietly telling Annas, this trial is illegal. Because you see, in Jewish justice, a man couldn't incriminate themselves out of their own mouth, right? That must come from witnesses. So the judge in that trial was not allowed to ask a leading question. But Annas, being Annas, his only purpose was to try and get a confession from Jesus that he could send him to Pilate and then Pilate could judge him for stirring up a rebellion. And Jesus is saying, no, Annas, that's not the way it works. You know, you know that you've got to find witnesses to prove that I'm a criminal. And Jesus is actually rebuking Annas with his comment. He's saying, you know what, Annas, I don't do things in secret. I don't wait till it's dark before I act. Everything I've said, I've said in public. I've said it in the synagogue. I've said it in the temple. People hear me. I don't speak in darkness, Annas. You know you shouldn't be doing this. And you know, when people are challenged with the truth, sometimes the only way they respond is with violence. And you get this, this moment where Annas can't refute that, but someone slaps Jesus across the face. You know, later they would go on to, to spit him, spit on him, strip him, they would flog him. It's this awful thing that they would do to him. And yet Jesus quietly puts them in the place. And he says, if I said anything wrong, tell me what it is. And if I haven't, why do you hit me? Why do you hit me? You see, violence belongs to an evil world. And Jesus very calmly puts them in all in their place. You know, one day, Annas and Judas are going to stand before Jesus, and that trial is going to be reopened. Except this time, Jesus is going to be the judge. And it will be in the light for everyone to see. It won't be in the darkness. And Jesus will be utterly fair utterly just. But I don't know about you, but how awful it will be to be Judas and Annas on that day, standing before Jesus as your judge. And we will one day stand before Jesus too. All right, let's, we finally get to Peter. Let's look at Peter, right? The reed and the rock. 
Just two hours before this, Peter had been swearing his loving loyalty for Jesus, right? He's like, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. No one else might be, but I am. And the truth is, Simon Peter, actually, on that night, he did more than any other disciple of Jesus, right? The only thing is he, he went completely in the wrong direction. But Peter was the only one who stuck up for Jesus and fought, Right? The others were clearly thinking, oh my goodness, there's this army here and I'm going to get killed or arrested. Where's the nearest exit? I'm out of here. But that wasn't Peter. Peter had a sword and he wasn't afraid to use it. He pulled it out and he was so nervous that he missed by 10 centimeters. You know, he certainly wasn't aiming to cut off that precision, sort of cut down and get his Malchus's ear off. I mean, he was a, a fisherman, not a soldier. And he aimed for the man's skull, but he missed and sliced off his ear. Now, you would think that's, that's quite a suicidal moment. You've got 200 soldiers watching the scene unfold. You've just attacked someone. Peter, that might, that might be it for you. But we kind of have to give Peter credit for at least trying, at least having the, the courage to, to take them on. Now, we might applaud Peter for this moment, right? We love a good story where someone who's been beaten down, suddenly they give it to the bad guys and they're fighting against them. We all love those kind of movies. And we, we might think to ourselves, yeah, Peter, you, you show those bad guys. But Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. He simply says, Peter, that's not the way. That's not the way, Peter. And... I see a lot of myself in Peter, right? This guy who's, who's impulsive and he's wanting to do something for God, right? He's like, I'll fight for you, Jesus. I'll fight for you. And then he finds out that's not exactly the way God wanted it done. You know, Peter, even after this moment, he did follow Jesus. As Jesus is taken away, he did follow. It says, it says him and another disciple, probably John, followed him. Everyone else ran away. And Peter got as far as he could, and he was stopped at the door at, at, the, at the courtyard of the high priest. I mean, Peter's going back into enemy territory. He's just sliced off someone's ear, and yet he goes back to the, the courtyard of the chief priest, and he gets stopped at the door. John is able to get in because he's known to the high priest, uh, and John sees, uh, John sees this, and he uses his clout to go and say, hey, listen, he's with me. Can you let him in? It's kind of like those, those VIP parties when you arrive, and you're like, they with me. Can you get them in? Well, this is anything but a party that Peter's walking into. He's walking into the courtyard of the high priest. I mean, I think that's pretty brave. <laughs> I think that's pretty brave. You see, Peter went a long way, but then his courage failed him because he didn't realize that sometimes it's the little things that get you more than the big things. Sometimes it's the little temptations that can be more difficult to deal with than the big ones. You see, Peter, he could face 200 soldiers, no problem, right? But when a, a servant girl at the door asked him, are you one of his disciples? He's like, no way, not me. He went to pieces. You know, I'd like to think if, if someone burst into those doors now with, with acid or a machine gun and they said, 
deny Jesus or we shoot you. I'd, I'd like to think and pray that I'd have the courage to say, well, shoot me now because I'm not going to deny him. But I also know, I also know that I've had those moments at work or at social occasions where I've been embarrassed to admit that I was a follower of Jesus. You know, just try and hide it a little bit, not really say it out aloud. Just, just compromise a little bit. I just want to fit in. I don't want anyone to think I'm too crazy. You know, maybe for you, tomorrow morning at work or at school or uni, somebody's going to ask you something. What did you do yesterday? And you're like, oh, you, yeah, you just maybe find yourself a little bit embarrassed or fearful to be associated as a Christian. And you might say the wrong thing. Or everyone's joking around and they 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 telling these jokes they shouldn't be telling and, and you kind of want to fit in, so you laugh at those jokes. You know, once Peter had said the wrong thing once, he said it privately to a servant girl. He just went on with it. And so the next time someone asked him, oh, don't we know you? No, no, not me. And then the third time, it was the worst. It was a relative of the person's ear he just cut off. And he says, like, I recognize you in the garden. You, it must be you. And Peter's like, no, 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 no ways. It's not, not me. I don't even know him. Peter fell and he hit rock bottom. And it says, the rooster crowed at that moment. Now, it could have been a rooster crowing, but what we know from Jewish law is that you couldn't keep a rooster within Jerusalem. And some of the commentaries say that that word cock crow in Greek would mean three o'clock in the morning. It was a euphemism for three o'clock in the morning when they blew the trumpet. Now, I don't know whether it was a rooster that was crowing or whether it was a trumpet blowing at 3 a.m., but this I do know. By the time that trumpet blew or that rooster crowed, Simon Peter's courage had totally left him. All his courage had gone. He had started off so well, right? Filled with courage. I'm going to protect you, Jesus. And within a few hours, he had lost everything. Do you see yourself in Peter? You know, that denial broke his heart. And it says in the other Gospels that at that exact moment, he made eye contact with Jesus. He looked at Jesus. I don't know what that must have been like. You look at Jesus and you see his beaten, bloodied, bruised body. And you know that he's done that for you. And you make eye contact with him and you know that in that moment you have failed him. You've denied him. You've let him down. And you can imagine Peter thinking, what have I just done? What have I just done? You know, out of all those three men, Judas, Annas, and Peter, they all failed. They all mistreated or hurt Jesus. But only one of them was restored. So what's the difference? It comes down to what they really loved. What did they really love in their life? Above all else, what's that thing that you love? You see, for Judas, he loved money. He loved money. 
For Annas, he loved power and control. But Peter, Peter loved Jesus. He would say to Jesus, you know that I love you. Fear had got the better of him, and he had stumbled and fallen. But Peter loved Jesus. He really did. And that's why it hurts so much. And that's often when, when we sin, why it hurts us so much is because we realize who we've sinned against and how it's hurt him. You know, the one thing about Peter, the reason he was able to be restored is that he, he knew Jesus. He knew what Jesus was really like. He understood the grace of God. He knew that if he came to him, there was forgiveness in him. Jesus would welcome him back. And above all, he knew that Jesus loved him. Not at his best, not when he was pulling out the sword and trying to fight for him, but at his worst, Jesus still loved him. You know, personally, I think Jesus had to let Peter get to the end of himself. You know, the Bible tells us that pride comes before a fall. So if you think you're standing firm, take heed, lest you fall. Yeah, that was Peter, right? He thought, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm your most loyal disciple, Jesus. I'll fight for you when no one else will. I'll do the right thing when no one else will. And Jesus had to say to Peter, okay, let's, let's see how you go with that. Because the truth is, in our own strength, in our own righteousness, we will fall. We will fall. We will stumble and fall. You know, the most important thing is when we do stumble or fall, the thing that will bring us back is to know who Jesus is. Not to know who you are, because you realize that we're weak. But it's to know who he is, to know what his character is like, that'll bring you back. So let's look at Jesus, because really that is the most important. He is the most important character at this point. Jesus dominates this scene, right? When everyone else is striving for power, they're falling, they're failing, Jesus is graceful and in control. And I want to say three things about Jesus because this really is a story. It's not about Judas. It's not about Annas. It's not even about Peter. It's about Jesus. Number one, he knew all this would happen. Right, you've got this crazy scene unfolding, right? It's at night, it's in this place that used to be a place of refuge, a garden that would be well familiar with. Jesus had been let down by his disciples falling asleep. You've now got the armed religious police there ready to take you away. They're right there in front of him, and yet Jesus is at peace. This is what it says in verses 4 to 6. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now when Jesus said, I am he. It says they, 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 they took a step back and they're falling over themselves. Why? Were, were, they, were they scared of Jesus? 
Because what they just heard had made them fall over themselves, and yet Jesus remained calm. You see, in, in the Greek, it doesn't say, I am he. It just simply says, I am. Jesus is using the name of God to the high priest soldiers, and they were terrified. They were terrified. The conversation went something like this. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm God. That was his answer. And they were like, what? How could someone claim to be God in this moment? And they fall over themselves. But I tell you what, that is the right response. If they knew that they were standing before God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the right response would have been to fall down before him. They didn't fall down because of that. They fell down because they were shocked at what he said. How could someone claim to be God? But it is the right response. Jesus knew all that was going to happen. Number two, Jesus chose to die. You see, Jesus steps forward to this, this gang of, of, of soldiers. He holds his hands up to them and says, Tie them. Here I am. He voluntarily went to his death. You know, he had two hours between the upper room and going to Gethsemane. He could have gone back to Galilee. He could have got out of there. His death was unnecessary. From a human point of view, he could have gotten away. But why did he go to the very place he knew Judas would bring the soldiers? Why did he stop Peter from fighting for him? Why did he submit to being bound? You see, Jesus had the power. He could have snapped those ropes, but he chose to die. He chose to die because it was the Father's will. See, our, our human nature, or certainly my human nature, is that I want to avoid pain and suffering and mockery, but Jesus walked straight into that. He said, I'll go through those things because it's the Father's will, and I will do whatever the Father's called me to do, whatever the cost. Jesus, in that moment, he could have called down 12,000 angels to deal with it. He could have followed that up with fire from heaven, but he didn't. He chose to die. Why? Why would he do that? Number three. His concern for others. Uh, if you are about to face a trip to the dentist, I don't know about you, but I start thinking about, I wonder how, how, it's, how much it's going to hurt. I wonder how much it's going to cost. And this pain and suffering, you just start thinking about yourself. Jesus is about to face unjust suffering. But he doesn't think of himself. He's concerned for others, right? Did you know what Jesus' last miracle was? It's to heal the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus was concerned for the servant. Nobody else was concerned about him. You see, the question we have to ask is, why? well, why didn't the army attack Peter for, for pulling out his sword? The truth is that he didn't attack a soldier. He attacked a servant, and no one really cares about servants. But Jesus cared about a servant. You know, there's chaos going on. Simon Peter's freaking out, and he's pulling out his sword. I mean, this is going to end badly for them. 
very badly for the disciples. And yet, Jesus shows his concern for them. And he says, listen, if you seek me, let them go. Let them go. And we're not talking about a worthy group of disciples. These are the same guys who've, who've let him down by sleeping through the night. They've run away, and yet Jesus cares for them. He protects them. He's concerned for them. He sets them free, and he goes in their place. It sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? You know, it's that heart of Jesus' compassion. He was always concerned for others to the point where he gave his life for others. You know, as we look back at some of the characters that we've looked at this morning, there might be some of us who can identify a little bit with the condition of Judas. Because we know that there's something that's not right in our lives. Something that we've allowed to master us. Something that we've allowed to entangle us. And we know this because we hide it. And yet we also know that it's just eating away at our walk with the Lord. And if we're really honest, there's sin there that we love more then we love Jesus. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus can set you free, right? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, the reason Judas ended up like, like he did was because he never understood the grace of God. He never really knew Jesus. He didn't know that forgiveness was available to him. So if that's you, I want to let you know it's not too late. You don't have to let sin have mastery over you because we have one who's mastered sin for you. He's taken the place. And the Lord does want to set you free. If, if you will let him deal with it. There's some of us who, like me, can identify with Simon Peter. We've had that moment where we've blown it big time. And just to go back to the story I told you in the beginning of, of where I ended up, and I did, I, I want you to know the condition of my heart. Because you see, about two weeks before that, I'd been in a, in a men's meeting with a group of men. And a lot of them were talking about their struggle with lust. And I can remember sitting there thinking to myself, oh man, I could, that's not my struggle. I could, I could never do that. And yet, barely two weeks later, there I was. There I was. You know, weakness is not a bad thing. To realize how weak we are is not a bad thing. Sometimes you, we do need to realize how weak we are. Because when we do, it kills pride in us. You can't know how weak you really are and still remain prideful. It kills pride in us. Secondly, it makes us realize how much we need the grace of God. You know, I love Dallas Willard. He said this. He said, God's greatest saints are not those that need the least of God's grace. They're those that fully understand of how much they need God's grace every day. 
You know, you don't arrive on the scene and think, well, now I'm a disciple. I don't need that much grace as everyone else does. I don't need as much forgiveness as everyone else does. No, no, that's, that's not what it is. Weakness makes us reliant on the grace of God. And weakness makes us love Him more. When we realize how weak we are, how prone we are to wonder, how prone we are to compromise and know that He still loves us, even in that moment, oh my goodness, that should fill your heart with love for Him. You know, we have the privilege right now of, of coming around the communion table. And in this passage, Jesus says this strange thing. He says, I must drink this cup. I must drink this cup. Now, what was he talking about? He said, I'm so concerned, his actions, I was so concerned for other people that I must drink this cup. And that was the cup of God's wrath. Now, wrath is a lovely Bible word. How often did you use the word wrath this week? But it literally means anger. God's anger. Now, why would God be angry? Why would God be angry? Well, just imagine for a moment everything that God has to see. Everything that God has to see every day. He sees every bomb that lands and kills adults and children. He sees every rape, every act of abuse, selfishness, greed, cheating, lying, deceiving, malice, adultery. God doesn't just hang out in church and see all the nice stuff. No, He sees everything, everything. And it rightly makes Him angry at sin. When He's told us how to live, He's told us to love Him and others, and yet we destroy each other and we wave our fist in His face. So there is this cup, and it's full of God's anger. And when Jesus went to the cross, that cup was poured out on Him. To the dregs, Jesus drank it Everything, every last bit of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus did that because He has concern for us. He takes the hit. He takes God's wrath onto Himself so that we don't have to. We don't have to. Every sin, every sin has been paid for.